0: Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Northfield Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Gordon. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be a part of the program today. I um, just want to say this up front. Men are important. Regardless of what the culture says about men, men are needed. And women, for the most part, have bought the lie, hook, line, and sinker, that men are not needed in the home. And we are now reaping the reward of single mother homes. Where, where the mother has been the single parent raising these children in our culture. And, and we are now seeing that come to fruition, the, the the chaos in our culture. And there is an answer. And today on the podcast, I have the author of It's Good to Be a Man, Michael Foster. Uh, he is also a pastor. Uh, I just want to read a, a portion of this off the back of the book here. Instead of teaching men how to hone their aggressive traits, modern society tells us to smash the patriarchy. Modern churches offer the meek servant leader as the only model of manliness. In most contexts today, men who display signs of independence are simply shown the door. And I can't wait for this conversation. I think it's a needed conversation in the culture and in uh, the church. And I'm praying that this spurs us on and just spurs men on to stand up and be manly and, and to take control of um, of culture their homes, and the church for the glory of God and for the betterment of the family. So pray that this encourages you and spurs you on this week. Welcome to the Northfield podcast. Mike Foster, how in the world are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, um, I I ran into your... Uh, well, I ran into you briefly at Fight, Laugh, Feast and then picked up your book, It's Good to Be a Man and have not been able to take, put it down. I've been reading it and just loving, loving, loving what I'm reading. Um, and there is an all all out assault on biblical masculinity. And um, I love that you're taking this on literally head on. And um, I, I don't like, there's so many things that are happening in our culture that make men out to be, Unnecessary. And when men do try to step into roles that God's designed them to have, they're mocked, they're belittled, they're 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 thrown into you know the wastebasket. So I, I was gonna see why did you decide to write this book and and what do you what is your
1: hope for this book? The book started as a project. Um I knew I was gonna do a podcast on sexuality, mm. and I had one kind of vision for it, but I was talking to a lot of young men who had been in my youth group when I was a youth pastor some, some years ago, and recognizing that they were facing challenges, having problems that I wasn't really used to, and that there had been a real kind of shift in our culture, a lot of new, again, challenges. And, uh, you know, what I was, the, the picture I always had was kind of a tsunami where a tsunami comes in and destroys a bunch of structures. And then when it goes back out to sea, right, the waters rush in and they get pulled back out to the ocean. They strip away a lot of stuff with it, right? And that there's a whole generation that was growing up without what once was kind of common sense, common knowledge. It's just, they don't, they don't know. And to older people who grew up where that was this part of the common knowledge, uh when when they are having these problems or asking about those things, it feels disingenuous. Like why would you not know how to talk to a girl or right. look someone look someone in their eyes or shake a hand or, or how to carry yourself with gravitas or and it's because a lot of that world that I would say if you're thirty five and up, um you grew up it is gone. And sure. and it depending on where you live in the country, maybe it was gone even, you know sooner and earlier right yeah but um so i wanted to write i wanted to create something that would actually help those men and uh so i started on the project and i realized it was like really big and i had a friend who non-tenant uh dominic uh who was uh thinking along these same lines and said hey let's let's jump on and do this project together and first it was just a little facebook page and it grew and then we started the podcast and a website and then decided to put together an outline for a book. Uh, I can't remember who talked to who first, but Canon picked it up. And yeah. and so the goal is just to kind of help men get started to understand how kind of masculinity was lost and came under attack and what to do to regain it and kind of get moving in the right direction. That That's the, the whole purpose of that sort of ministry that we were involved in there for some years.
0: Yeah, I love it. Yeah, several years ago, that's what I I started on the path, doing ministry, uh, men's ministry. I, I got as a young twenty something year old guy I got asked to to take over our in our church. It's called the Brotherhood Breakfast, and and I I remember it being the old men gathering together at nine o'clock, and they go till noon, and it was just sort of kind of. It wasn't anything that I ever looked forward to. My dad was a pastor, and so he like drugged me and made me go. And so I just would sit there in the corner and you know watch these guys. And I said, okay, I, I want to do something different. I want to have something that's impactful. I want to see men regain biblical masculinity. I want to see a, a, a return to biblical truth and, and see that. And that's that's something that I've I've tried to find ministries. I've tried to find men um, who are who are who are doing those kinds of things. And there's like this, even inside the church, you would think that that would be applauded, but inside the church, it is a weird phenomenon where if men step up and try to lead, women immediately try to step in and and just overshadow and, and take, take them out of the equation. Um, why do you think that is?
1: There's a lot of ways to answer that question. A lot of things that could be going on. Um, I think one is there are a lot of men who have been, all right. So, wow, there's a lot of, uh, appeals to this onion. <laughs> so, so churches in general, if they're Protestant and evangelical, uh, uh, appeal more to women and less to masculine men. I agree. Ask masculine men like to build things. They like to understand, uh, the purpose of something, the overall strategic value, vision, where things are going. They're a little more, um, uh, wired to take risk, and all that. So a lot of those guys that show up in that church will probably not be welcome, because a lot of the people that pastor churches pastor uh, with an eye towards who their congregation is made up of, which is mostly women, sure. right? So they don't want to upset the the majority of the congregation, and that's that's they just end up doing that subconsciously. And the guys that would come in and want to take risk and make changes and all that, those sort of guys could get ran off because they are a threat to the system. Mm -hmm. They can make a big, make a lot of work for a pastor. And (laughs) so those guys aren't in churches in large numbers, generally speaking. If there are guys, they're either effeminate or they've kind of just given up. And they're like, you know, I love Jesus and I want to be at church and I'm there. But anytime they've tried to step up and get involved, their hand kind of gets slapped. Right. So that's that's one element. Another element is that uh, because churches are being built to comfort people almost more than anything, they attract a, a man that's more of a caregiver and has much more in line with uh, you know women, soothing women, keeping people happy, making people feel included, kind of these goals uh, that that women tend to have, right? Is, right. Uh, yeah. Is to include people. Since churches are are built around that they attract men like that, they don't have a lot of uh, real strong male pastors there. And that's been a problem for hundreds of years, like Spurgeon sure. talks. Spurgeon talks about it in lectures to my students. Um, you'll find it brought up uh, through in the Puritans and, and Reformers and all those guys. So, uh, so you have guys that are going to also be easily threatened by high performing guys. Yeah. And so that – those guys aren't there or they've learned not to step up. And women, when they see something not being done, they want to go help. Right. It's their nature to help to go build and do things. It's not just – uh, it's not that they're wild, short-haired, you know, frosting-at-the-mouth feminists. Right. Uh, there might be some of those. There certainly are in the church. But sometimes it's just like, well, the guys aren't doing it. Well, it's because anytime the guys try to do something, they get punished for it or they get right. ashamed or whatever. So that that creates this really vicious cycle where the structure of or the the form of the ministry of of churches is shaped almost entirely by women and guys don't want to get involved and the women are like why won't you step up it's like well because it sucks i don't want to be part of this it's terrible um and so that's kind of what's going on there uh also a lot of pastors really want to prove to their liberal friends or moderate friends that they're you know, broad minded and they're not a big mean misogynist and whatever. So they'll look for every which way to include women into the ministry. Uh, Even if these guys say they're complementarian and they don't practice women's ordination, they'll like get women as close as possible where they're not preaching, they're giving a lecture. Right. right. <laughs> uh, where they're they're not administrating the sacraments because they didn't see the words of institution, but they are distributing the elements. Right. right. They'll, they'll do everything they can to get as close as possible to keep their kind of conservative credentials or complementarian credentials while really uh, tipping the hat to the sort of feminist zeitgeist of our time. Right. And that's, that's what a lot of churches are like. Now, 2020, which we started this project before you kind of the woke bomb went off like it was starting to but a lot of eyes have opened up in the last couple years to things uh so i think there's a change where people are seeing these things for what they are uh but that's been a major dynamic we've been dealing with for a couple decades at least
0: yeah absolutely i I 100% agree i just i guess my question would be How do we as churches, or how do we as pastors, because I'm a pastor, you're a pastor, how do we as pastors empower our men to step up and not be afraid that, hey, listen, we want you to in here, we want you to be a part of these things, we want you to lead, we want you to help grow this thing, and have them not be afraid to have their hands slapped. What what do you think needs to happen there?
1: I think uh, give people real authority. And take real risk as pastors you know uh a lot of times we we delegate like chair ministry to a guy you know and it's like well you got to be faithful in the small things brother before the large but if these are men that have careers and got married and had a bunch of kids and have a mortgage i mean they've been faithful in some pretty big things i, I think right. they can i think they can figure out how to set up the chairs and for most <laughs> Uh, most guys aren't beyond setting up chairs. I know I wasn't throughout no. my 20s or whatever, and I'll still do it today. Mm-hmm. But if you want to get more out of guys, you give them bigger opportunities. You know, let, let, I, I find that guys step up when I give them big chances. And so I just hand something off to someone, give them a couple, you know, here's a few ideas of like, you think about this, and then I'll let them go for it. And I've got men beating down my door to be involved in our church and take up uh, leadership positions. And so great. I'm, I'm always, you know, our church is, we don't have any full-time employees. Um, we're about 300 people and a little over 300 now, and we de- depend on volunteer leadership. And so we use that for, uh, um, we, we just, I, when I give people opportunities are real opportunities, take real risk, you know, those are some, one way, just actually give them something that's hard. And that means having a bigger vision for your church, as opposed to just, uh, you know, I think what a lot of pastors want is people to give more money or invite more friends, yes, yeah. that's kind of what they're after, and that's what if that's how you're thinking about your ministry to equip the saints uh your your, your vision's a bit truncated and needs to broaden
0: sure hundred percent anytime you see men who are spiritually healthy and they're engaged in the in in biblical processes every other ministry in the church seems to thrive and 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 it and, and it's done well. It's not, it's not choppy. And I think what we've done in the modern church is we throw all this cash at youth ministries or women's ministries, which those are not bad in and of themselves. But if, if you're ignoring the men, they're going to tend to um, just, you know, men are passive a lot of times by nature. We just, we either have that fight or flight, but most of the time it's that flight. We'll just sort of kind of take our hands off the thing. And let it run, and we'll go do something else that really excites us. Um, and it, 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 uh, it shouldn't be that way. I think if if more men got engaged and were activated rather than just affiliated in churches, um, I, I, I think we'd see just an explosion of healthy homes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we wouldn't, we wouldn't, how are we going to get our next generation? Well, we are, we already got them because dad's doing what dad should be doing. Sure, um, and so I, it, that's, that's one of the things I love. Uh, one of the things I, I was reading I, I in the intro, I talked about the int, inter, introduction uh, of the back of your book, this, the handbook for godly masculinity. Um, one of the things that says in here is God made men to be strong and to be risk takers. This is a feature, not a bug. And it cracks me up that that we have so many people that are terrified that, that young men making decisions or doing certain things is a bad thing. And I think that if men just did what God called them to do, get married, have kids, be faithful to teach the word in your home and, and help in your in your where you are at uh, um your church, I mean, I I think your families are gonna grow. And as a result of that your your cities are going to grow so t- talk about that that theme as the as the what you think uh, what's the answer because we we defined sort of kind of the the problem the problem is that we've got woke you know men who are just sort of kind of doing their own things and and trying to infiltrate uh the family and the churches with um you know a masculine um type men what's the answer what's what's the answer to fix this
1: well for us what we tried to the vision that we try to cast in that book like one big idea that i probably develop more at some point but is the idea of mission which is god has just made men to accomplish things to do to build something right and the way we see that mission, of course, is couched under the missio Dei, that everything exists for God's purpose to to give Him, uh, uh glory and to enjoy Him forever. Sure. That takes a particular form, though, is that God starts all of history with a couple, with a husband and a wife, and brings them together with the command to have dominion and also to be fruitful and multiply. Mom. You put that the 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 the, the form that takes is, uh, them building a household. And we tried to lay a biblical view of household out, which is a household is more than just a a building. Uh, it's more than just children, but it's kind of the sum total of what comes from a husband and wife, right? Their influence, their property, their progeny, all that sort of stuff. That's a household. So I think what helps is, is getting guys having a bigger vision for their life to understand that a part of, your call to serve god is to uh to to uh, protect to provide and to lead to build awesome things like i i'm looking at buying more and more property i'm looking at uh ways i can set my family up today i was just doing some morbid stuff i was like setting up my facebook account so when i die it goes over to my wife and double checking my beneficiaries and all this stuff on my sure. my checking account and looking at Uh, how to move a lot of my property over into uh, um, a revocable trust to protect it. Uh, Why am I doing that is because, well, I want to, I'm building a legacy. I'm trying to uh, hand a bunch of stuff over to my children and grandchildren. And I think helping guys see that, that sort of uh, desire to be ambitious for the glory of God and for the good of your family is, is good. It's how you're wired. So be the best lawyer, uh, be the best salesman, be the best janitor, whatever, uh, uh, make as much as you can, right? Invest as much as you can, give as much as you can, uh, have, get married and have however many babies you and your wife can disciple up to love, love Christ, right? Um, helping guys just capture a vision for life that is, is, is bigger and broader than, uh, the sort of truncated evangelical vision, which is just be a good church member. Like back in right. the 40s and 50s and 60s, it was the, the height of kind of Christian piety was to be a missionary, to be like Jim Elliott or something like that. Right. And. And while there's 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 good that there's there's nothing wrong with being a missionary. That's great. But God has called you to live life with the same vigor uh, as a missionary to pursue excellence in all things. So let let guys know, like, hey, it's great to want to climb the corporate ladder or to start a business and and whatever yeah. and use yeah. all these things. the glory of god so we've really lost the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers which is misunderstood a lot of people think the priesthood of all Mm -hmm. believers means that everyone can be a pastor that's not the point the point (laughs) is everyone is a priest come on uh, it is in in so much that we minister to uh, each other right Amen. Um, yeah and then we've lost a doctrine of vocation right that there's we have callings and those callings are uh are, are something that god uses uh, to build his kingdom and to bring glory to himself, and so I think recapturing those ideas—that's why I started my new podcast, which is much more focused. Like it's good to be a man. That podcast and that book is a little more of a thirty-four thousand, you know, foot view or whatever. Yeah. Um, it gets more practical in the second half of it, and there's like one or two. There's really one or two chapters that are really practical, but the the rest of the book is more about principles and kind of history and theology. But I wanted to start something that started to give people, like, here's some godly habits. Um, here's how you build a sleeping habit. Here's how you build a weightlifting habit, whatever that sort of stuff uh, to help them, uh, like, start to, to execute on, on that vision. But so I think mission, and I see mission as kind of like Russian nesting dolls, you know, like they're little dolls you take out. So there's missions within missions within missions. So like a mission um, to fix my back deck. Why am I f- fixing my back back deck. Well, one reason is I don't want anyone to get hurt. Right? I don't want them right. their foot to go down in like some hole missing board and hurt their ankle. The other, but the main reason is the back deck is where a lot of life happens during spring and fall, where we're sitting back there and having people over and listening to music and having drinks and having a good time. I, right. I'm fixing my back decks because we, we're committed to practicing in hospitality because hospitality is where people's souls are knit together and that's part Mm -hmm. of building my household of having a greater influence for the glory of god through discipleship and and fellowship so i think seeing how little tasks build towards big big things right yeah i I like to start with the big ideas and reverse engineer i usually use five-year increments in how i do things because i just feel like that's I'm I'm in my 40s and fi- like a year ain't nothing uh in 5 years I could plan out 5 years right that's big enough that it's a real accomplishment um but it's it's also uh short enough that I can actually affect changes towards that goal so that's what I try to get guys thinking about and I feel like a lot of guys don't think that way
0: no, oh, absolutely. This I love that you're talking about this idea of hospitality because we, as men, oftentimes say, "Well, that's the women's job. That's not my job." No, we we want other men to come around our tables and to and to sit around. and We're we're called to make disciples, and and we don't we we. It's not easy to do that if we're closing our doors and say, "Oh, hey, well, that doesn't you know, just go to church with me." Well, no, come to my house and eat dinner with me and have some people over and sit around my table. Let's talk about the things of, of the scriptures. Let's talk about what it looks like to be a man because younger men need to hear from older men. I mean, that's, you know, in Timothy that talks about younger men being taught by um, older men. And you don't do that just in an hour and 45 minutes or two hours at church. This is doing life and, and, and building that and, and making that happen. And I just, I don't understand why we as, Men don't want to pursue the idea of hospitality. And we we're very closed off. We're and you know, we have that idea of, oh, I'm, I'm an island, I, I'm a rock, I can do it on, on my own. Well, well, actually, none of us can do it without Christ's direct intervention, right? And so we have to have the Holy Spirit give us that direction to do what we need to do. And where do we find that? We find that in the scriptures. And we that that's the manual, right? And so having community, I think God's built us for that and and wired us for that and it, it it's so refreshing to hear somebody with with you know a little bit bigger platform that i've got say that so i just i appreciate you um stepping into that space and saying hey this is this is the truth of of what god has done we're built for for community and it's okay to teach other men hey it's okay to be manly it's okay to, to, to and it's not just the, beating your chest it's sure. it's there is some maturity to it you know there's there's moments where guys can be silly and have have a good time but i'm not saying we're 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 just never laugh never joke never have a good time i i think that men should laugh i like i love that that that's where you and i sort of kind of connected was at fight laugh feast for just a few moments but that idea of laughing together and sitting around having a good drink having having you know I, just doing doing what we do mm-hmm. um is so um it's so important, and it builds that that camaraderie, and and you want to be more. If you're whoever whoever you hang out with, is who you're eventually going to become. And if you're hanging out with men who love the Lord, love His Word, love the Church, that's where you're going to gravitate towards. Or so if you're sitting around with guys that just want to get wasted and and party, that's eventually where you're going to go. And I I think we need to pull these men in and say, listen, come. Jesus is better, and there's better things that are happening in the church than outside of the church so amen yeah so i i don't know i don't know where i was going with that i just you know you you got me fired up brother
1: good good <laughs> so, happy to throw some gas on the fire
0: come on baby yeah so um i i, I will finish up i thought it was hilarious that you're i've been i follow you on facebook and social media and you're you're posting these you posted a picture today of a of a rose that looks like a skull and i shared oh, yeah, that yeah yeah and and I've noticed a couple different posts you've made in regards to, you know, people think that we're posting things on social. This is where I, the world thinks everything's about them. You know, everybody thinks everything's about them. And if you make a post online, well, you meant that towards me, didn't you? You, yeah. you, I just think that is like, when you put that out there this morning, I was like, Oh my gosh, I could think of about a dozen people that that's, they see a post online. Did you see that? I think they meant that towards me. I think that's what they, they were talking about me, weren't they? Like, Probably not. I had, a,
1: I had a guy that messaged me years ago that I, I had met like in passing and he was a friend of a friend and that was like the early days of Facebook. He had just gotten out of, I had Facebook real early on when I was in university. So it just expanded to university yeah. as at NKU. And now it just where now you could have friends outside of university. And this guy was one of those guys. i he friended me or something. I accepted it. I moved on. Right. Like years had got, gone on and I get this angry message where this guy's like, look, man, I know you've been talking to me about me the last couple of days on Facebook and all this and this and this and this. And, this, uh, and I was like, I am so sorry. Who are you? Um, I, I really, he, so he, he explains and and I'm like, I'm still not tracking, man. Maybe you got me confused. No, no, it's you, all right. And then eventually, oh, oh, yeah, I know who you are. And But he had like, uh, he got married and already cheated on his wife and divorced her and all this stuff. And yeah. I was talking about something, and, and it, it had convicted him. And I always tell people, look, man, if you throw a rock into a crowd of dogs, the one that yipes is the one that got hit. Right. You know, like like I I wasn't talking about you. Um, but I, I don't follow almost anyone on social media. I don't listen to podcasts. I don't read blogs. Um, I these are just things I'm thinking about as as I get yeah. to know people and I see these patterns and I think they're general patterns, uh trends that are happening in culture that and I always think of what's going on in my own heart. Sure. Like and 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 try to deal with myself and weaknesses i see in myself or i saw myself especially when i was younger. and so i think that's why it, it, it gets people all riled up but i'm not talking about them. we are a narcissistic like culture. oh aren't right? we though. so it's kind of a slipsism where we just live in our own head. and so when we read something i don't care if you're reformed conservative i don't give a i don't it doesn't matter. Like liberal or not, I I, I see this in everyone yeah. where there's um what I call ass- associative thinking. So that's like if you ever watch the show Family Guy, not a great show, but they have these these cuts where it's like, uh, oh yeah, that's like that one time when I did this, and th- the relationship between the two scenes is maybe just a word, but there there's actually no relationship, right. People are all like that. So if you say dominion, they hear domination, and mm-hmm. if they hear domination, they hear BDSM, and then they're thinking that this is all about sexual domination. Whoa, 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 whoa! We said no. dominion, and you made a bunch of jumps there. Well, okay. that's what that word means. Is that how the word was used in the sentence? Right? Do you know what a predicate is? Do you know what object subject is? Do you know how how when you put words in a certain order, there's a propositional truth there for you nope. to discover. Um, but. And, and those people do, but it's like how it makes them feel is what's right. true. So, so it's right. an emotion, it's emotional reasoning. And um, like the other day I posted something uh, on Twitter. I was thinking about like my mom died earlier this year and I've got friends who have lost, you know, spouses or whatever. So for some people, Christmas can be a really hard time. Sure. And I, I posted something trying to be encouraging. And uh, it, but it came off like, you know, as a downer to someone. And and he's like responding to me how well, I'm just cozy and happy today, and I'll pick up my sor- uh, sword and shield tomorrow. And I was like, well, this wasn't for you. If it doesn't apply to you, it doesn't apply to you. It right? Doesn't apply, like, right? Right. And then I said, well, it's you know Christmas is kind of a dark time for some people uh, that are alone. And then he said something to the effect like, well, they shouldn't be on Twitter on Christmas. And I was like, well, people that don't have friends and family around feel isolated and they turn to the internet. Right. So should, should, shouldn't, whatever. But here, what's probably the psychology there is that you're saying something. I don't like it, how it makes me feel. Oh, and yes. How it makes me feel is the standard uh, of which others should be held to, as opposed to say, yeah, he's right. It is dark for some people. I'm so glad that this Christmas isn't dark. God's blessed my life. It's awesome. And I sh- I'll pray for those people that are suffering right now and go back and enjoy my family. But that's the mm-hmm. right way to do it. right? But, but instead, everything is about you, yep. right? And, and about your emotional response. And I think probably the biggest problem with both men and women, uh, but speaking to men is a, a, a undisciplined emotional life right they they're intemperate they lack prudence they either shut down real easy uh or they blow up right uh but there's no like appropriate response to things right so if my son raises his voice to me i'm not going to respond with my voice raised even louder Um, i'm not going to do that because one that would put him in control uh he'd be the emotional leader in that relationship but also like what's he gonna do like i just turn off his internet and take away (laughs) all his all his food i mean like i'll just give him bread and water like like, i mean like i i I control everything in his whole life like he he depends on me so why, why why am i acting like this is such a threat so if he raises his voice i'll say hey don't raise your voice to me. I'm your dad. I love you. Calm down. Let's talk about this. Come on. You know, and you don't, it doesn't mean you have to be some punk and some like saccharine right. sweet pushover guy. Uh, but guys need to learn like um, how to control themselves. And I'll tell you what, if, if you, that's way more intimidating to people in life when they recognize that they can't like, they can't really provoke you. Like there's people that try to provoke you online. Absolutely. To, to me, I'm just like, do what do I care? Like someone's like, how do you deal with all the hate online? I just shut the computer, turn the phone off. Like, yeah, I'm going to go hang out
0: with my wife. (laughs) They
1: they don't know me. Right. And so I think guys are always out there trying to validate themselves with strangers. um, And when they're at home, it shows in their lack of emotional control. So what they really need to do is, one, the gospel helps you uh, understand that. For all your many problems, for your, your history, for your sin, and all that stuff, you've been washed in the blood, clothed in a white robe, and God loves you, right?
0: Come so on. the whole world might
1: hate me, but God likes me. He loves That's me. That all matters. So, um, and, that, and then from that, you're able to not tr- to be performative. Mm-hmm. And you just start wanting to live for God's glory. And that changes the nature of your relationship with your wife, where it's not like I'm not trying to be a wife pleaser. I'm not trying. I'm not pra- practicing practicing happy wife, happy life. Rather, I'm doing what's right for God, even if she's not responding the right way. It's yeah. because I fear of God, and God knows, and life is a vapor. Uh, so this that starts changing how guys go, and I think that's where I, I a lot of ministries have to uh, work is helping guys. There's a healthy sort of stoicism that is manly yeah uh, that we're cool under pressure like w- one of my big measures of a of a pastor is i ask myself would i now that i'm older this isn't the same but uh but would i fall this man into battle Mom. right and then people say oh so you want your pastor to be conan the barbarian uh no i'm thinking more like dick winters band of brothers or tom hanks character in save a private yeah. Ryan. i'm looking for yeah. a guy that's disciplined that has emotional control. That knows how to stay on a mission. He knows how to give commands. Uh, he's not overly reactive. A guy—that's the guy I—I I want to surround myself with, and that's who I aspire to be as as a man myself.
0: Yeah, Amen. I love that. That's fantastic, uh, Michael. How, uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking sure. to us today, and encouraging us men to to look um, at this idea of being a man is actually a good thing. It's not not to be shunned. It's actually get in here and let's, let's do it together. Um, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in following your ministry, getting your
1: book? How do they, how do that, how does that happen? The book's on amazon.com. Uh, so buy it there. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at this is foster or X, whatever you want to call it now. That's where I'm most active. And uh, my email's out there. You can find it if you really want it. And I do respond to them eventually. I'm so sorry to everyone who's emailed me. Uh, I, I i'll get there but uh yeah so i really appreciate the opportunity thanks so much for having me on amen thanks so much yep god bless yep Three, two, one.